0: And I'll start with a reading from Jack's lovely book, Forgiveness, Loving Kindness, and Peace. The human mind can create conflict. It can also create peace. To find peace in the world, we must find peace in ourselves. The Buddha said, there is no higher happiness than peace. So the seeds of this talk were sown a few months ago when I took part in a um, what was called a religious founders' day at a Islamic mosque in Milpitas, and those of us that spoke were requested to speak about our religious founders' teachings on peace. So. Um, I was the token Buddhist, which frequently I am at interfaith gatherings. Um, So as I thought, began to think about what I would say, it occurred to me, first of all, that all of the Buddhist teachings really are about peace. That all of the Buddhist teachings, if we follow them, lead to peace. And the Buddhist life, Exemplified peace. Everything about him was about peace. So specifically, the Buddha taught suffering and the end of suffering, the four noble truths. And of course, the end of suffering is peace, freedom, nibbana. That's a major um, or the central teaching of Buddhist practice. So there it is right there. The end of suffering is peace. Then the second thing that occurred to me is that in Buddhist practice, it's very clear that the emphasis is on inner peace, internal peace. Peace and harmony within, then we spread peace, or we create peace. But it has to begin within us. And this is a central teaching of the Buddha. To create peace in the world, you must be unruffled within. Become tranquil, walk in stillness, and act in harmony. The serenity that radiates from you will create peace. So it's very much an emphasis on our internal peace, the peace of the heart and mind that then all of our actions become a step towards peace or become peace. So Thich Nhat Hanh has written a couple of books on peace, you probably all know the name Thich Nhat Hanh, a very well revered um, Buddhist monk from Vietnam. and. One book is Peace is Every Step. The second one is Being Peace. Both of these reflect the teaching that it is every step that must be done in peace and harmony. It's not that, you know, the end goal of peace means that we can do anything along the way to get there. But every single step must be in alignment with peace and harmony. We create peace by making every step peaceful. Or we create peace by being peace ourselves. You know the saying, if you want love, be love. If you want kindness, be kindness. It's the same. If you want peace, be peace. So in this book, Pieces Every Step, the Dalai Lama wrote the foreword and he spoke to this point, he said, although attempting to bring about world peace through the internal transformation of individuals is difficult, it is the only way. Wherever I go, I express this. And I am encouraged that people from many different walks of life receive it well. Peace must first be developed within an individual. And I believe that love, compassion, and altruism are the fundamental bases for peace. Once these qualities are developed within an individual, he or she is then able to create an atmosphere of peace and harmony. This atmosphere can be expanded and extended, from the individual to his family, from the family to the community, and eventually to the whole world. You probably all know that song, um, "Let There Be Peace on Earth," and let it begin with me. This is this is truly the Buddhist teaching that um, that we must first be peace. We must be peaceful within. We must make every action one of peace and harmony. Peace is not the goal. Peace is the path. And then we find peace. So another reading from Ajahn Chah. Ajahn Chah was a very um, well-respected Thai forest teacher who died in about 1990, I think, or 91. And he was one of Jack Cornfield's teachers. He was Ajahn Sumedho's teacher, Ajahn Amaro. And he says, Peace is within oneself to be found in the same place As agitation and suffering. The same place. It is not found in a forest. Or on a hill. Nor is it given by a teacher. Where you experience suffering. You can also find freedom from suffering. Trying to run away from suffering. Is actually to run toward it interesting, isn't it? The very place where we experience suffering, agitation, is also the very place we can find peace. So no need to run away from it. We can stop and find peace right here. He also says, and this is one of my very favorite sayings, if you let go a little, you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will have complete peace. This is the challenge, I think, for us. Most of us maybe can let go a little bit. Some of us can let go a lot. The challenge is let go completely and then we can have complete peace. Peace. And, of course, it probably occurs to all of us, what does that mean, let go completely? That might be a whole other talk, <laughs> but something we can think about. So if we can't have outer peace without inner peace, then how do we do this? So there are qualities that we can cultivate. And the first one is mindfulness. This is the basis of our meditation. And through mindfulness, we see that suffering comes about through our greed, hatred, and delusion. And so these are considered the three poisons. These are the things that agitate the mind and the heart and these are the things that um, that create suffering, and that we want to let go of. Craving or clinging or attachment is considered the root cause of suffering. So we want to see through our mindfulness where we are still clinging, where we are still caught, and that helps us to let go and be free the other uh, another quality that we cultivate is that of radical acceptance or we might say equanimity this is the acceptance that accepts things life just exactly as it is sounds simple But it's huge. (laughs) And it's something that I think we all work with. The total acceptance of ourselves, of others, of life, of everything, just as it is. This is equanimity. And this is peace. And we always have to make a little caveat that this does not mean condoning something. There are many things that um, that we work to change. But it does mean this radical acceptance, which is not struggling, not fighting, not resisting. Somebody reminded me last night of the saying, resist not evil. It's that kind of acceptance. So we don't condone evil, but we don't resist it. We don't fight with it. We accept. That's how it is. And in that acceptance, it really is a radical acceptance goes against the grain of our conditioning, of a lot in our culture. I think almost everything in our culture teaches us don't accept, don't be content with what you have, don't be content with the way things are. You need to change things. You need to do this, you need to do that, you need to get this, you need to get rid of that, on and on and on and on, right? And so for us to really stop and just accept, This is how it is. I mean, I find it a daily practice, you know, every day, many times every day. Oh, this is how it is. Oh, yeah, this is how it is. Oh, okay, this is how it is. And then from that place, we act. So it's not that um, that we're passive about it or that we don't care. You know, it's just that. When there's that full acceptance, then our action comes from that place rather than from a resisting, um, agitated, angry kind of place. And then our actions can be peaceful. They can be just as powerful. In fact, I think much more powerful. Um, We might work just as hard. but But it's without that struggle, without that strife, and that, that tenseness and tightness. It's just a more open, a more open-hearted way. So then some other qualities that we can develop. The four Brahma-Viharas. The Brahma-Viharas, as you probably know, are loving-kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity. And the first three lead to the fourth, equanimity. They all build on each other, but the three lead to equanimity. So as we cultivate these qualities, the quality of loving kindness, the quality of compassion, the quality of empathetic or sympathetic joy, we're cultivating peace. We're getting to equanimity and we're cultivating Peace. The ten paramis, paramitas, or perfections, are ten qualities that we perfect on the path to liberation. And these are, um, I probably won't get them in order, but generosity and virtue and renunciation and. determination and truthfulness and energy and patience and mindfulness and wisdom and equanimity. Is that 10? Very good. (laughs) I don't think they're in the right order. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) these 10 qualities um, are qualities that we want to cultivate cultivate, and that do lead to a peaceful state, equanimity. Um, Patience might be one of the most important, but they're all important. And then the qualities of generosity and gratitude. We hear these over and over again. At least I hear myself saying them over and over again in so many different contexts because generosity, like um, non-harming, is a very, very fundamental foundational practice um, in Buddhism. And I think... Gratitude goes along with generosity, um, being grateful. We don't even have to be grateful for anything, but just an open heart, a heart of gratitude. is a heart that accepts whatever comes our way and that is grateful. So gratitude and generosity, generosity can be giving back. Again, the open heart, the heart that gives without expectation. These are the qualities that lead us to, again, equanimity, peace. So another foundational um, practice quality is that of non-harming, ahimsa. Non-harming is, again, a foundational Practice in Buddhism. Um, Gandhi exemplified non-harming. Um, he spoke a lot about ahimsa. And we see it in um, the five precepts, especially the very first one, that of not killing, or not taking life or honoring life. But actually in all the precepts, all the precepts um, about not lying, not stealing, not uh, using intoxicants not abusing sexuality as well as not taking life all lead towards non-harming of ourselves and other people one of the um, steps on the eightfold path is wise or right livelihood and there are five things the Buddha mentioned that are not right Livelihood. These are five things that create harm to ourselves or to others. And they are dealing in weapons, dealing with in human beings, not with, but in human beings, human being trade, um, meat, uh, intoxicants, and poisons. So these five things are harmful and are considered not wise livelihood. So throughout Buddhist practice there is this spirit of nonviolence, non-harming. This is again fundamental to Buddhist practice, nonviolence. So if we're going to practice Nonviolence, non harming, peace, then it means we cannot be at war with anything or anybody. It's big, huh? We must live in harmony with all of life. And again, Jack Cornfield. Actually, Jack Kornfield quotes Ajahn Chah again. We human beings are constantly in combat, at war to escape the fact of being so limited by so many circumstances we cannot control. But instead of escaping, we continue to create suffering, waging war with evil, waging war with good. Waging war with what is too big, waging war with what is too small, too short, too long, right or wrong. Courageously carrying on the battle. (laughs) All in the name, of course, (laughs) or all with the intent of doing good. But any time we're battling, we're at war, then there is not peace so we're not creating peace by warring with evil, by battling evil. So I think it's also important to talk a little bit about what peace is not. Peace is not indifference. It is not a withdrawal, withdrawal um, into oneself or away from the world or away from conflict It's not a resignation. It's not a just throwing up our hands. Oh, well, that's the way it is. What are you going to do? It's not passive. It is unshakable and there's a difference. So creating peace is very, or can be anyway, very active, not passive, not weak, we actually do not want to turn away from suffering, from injustice, from um, any of the pains or evils of the world. We do not want to turn away from conflict, but we want to meet it Skillfully, We want to deal with it skillfully. And it takes great courage. It takes restraint. It takes wisdom. And it means that we must not close our heart in any way. So even as we work to eliminate injustices, um, great grievances, We do not close our heart. We do not turn away. So peace is more than just the absence of conflict. If it were just the absence, we could just avoid it. We could just sidestep it. I had a very brief conversation a couple of weeks ago with a a couple of people in the complex where I live. And um, it was about a little bit of discordance and one person said well let's just all be friends <laughs> and I said no we don't have to be friends because for me that was that sort of pollyanna oh let's don't talk about the hard things come on guys let's just be friends and I was saying no we're not going to do it or I don't want to do it that way it's not just about Hello, let's just all be friends and You know, make nice. No. It's not. That's not peace. That's avoidance. (laughs) That's withdrawal. That might be weak. (laughs) Because we don't have the courage to deal with what's before us. Dealing with conflict leads to peace. And there's a story in the teachings of the Buddha of... Uh, how Shariputra asked the Buddha about this. The venerable Shariputra asked the Buddha, How am I to behave, O Lord, towards those in conflict? Do not reprove them, Shariputra, said the Blessed One, for harsh words do not serve as a remedy and are pleasant to no one. Assign them to separate dwelling places and treat them with impartial judgment, uh, justice. Listen with patience to both parties. Only the person who weighs both sides is called a sage. When both parties have presented their case, let the community come to an agreement and declare the reestablishment of concord. There are two ways of reestablishing concord. One is in the letter and the other is in the spirit and in the letter. If the community declares the reestablishment of concord without having inquired into the matter, the peace is concluded in the letter only. But if the community, having inquired into the matter and having gone to the bottom of it, decides to declare the reestablishment of Concord, the peace is concluded in the spirit and also in the letter. So I think that's really important. That points to this fact that it is not about avoiding and that there cannot be peace without justice. So if we don't get to the bottom Of whatever is going on, whatever the disharmony is, then it's not going to be resolved and it's not going to lead to peace. So the resolution of conflict is essential towards building peace. There's also a story um, of a time that, that the monks in the Buddha's community were quarreling. I don't remember what it was about. But apparently it went on and on. And I think the Buddha had made a couple of attempts or had said something to them. And they just refused to stop. They kept going on and on. And it's reported that what the Buddha did then was just turn around and walk away. And he left the community and went out into the forest. I guess, you know, not in anger. Um, He didn't say anything or chastise them. He just left. And maybe he said, I'll be back when you guys settle this. <laughs> or maybe he didn't say anything. I don't know. But of course, the monks noticed his absence and knew why. And so it didn't take them too long, I think, to figure out that they needed to settle um, whatever their their conflict was. And when they did, then somebody went and got the Buddha, and of course he returned. So, this matter of justice and that there cannot be peace without justice. Jack Cornfield again says to make peace, we cannot ignore war, racism, Violence, greed, the injustice and sufferings of the world. They must be confronted with courage and compassion. Unless we seek justice, peace will fail. Yet in whatever we do, we must not let war, violence and fear take over our own heart. So again, We must not close the heart to anything, but neither must we turn away from injustice in any form. And I think some very outstanding Buddhist teachers exemplify this, such as the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama, who has been in exile since 1959, right?, um, has seen horrible atrocities committed on his land and to his people, and yet works tirelessly. I shouldn't say, and yet, and works tirelessly for the freedom of the Tibetan people. Yet he does not make an enemy of the Chinese people. He will talk openly about what has happened, um, but he refers to the Chinese as his friends. And he tries to get reconciliation. He tries to get a meeting. He also suggests to the Tibetan people that they look at what their karma might be or what it might be about their karma that they have suffered such injustices. I think Thich Nhat Hanh also exemplifies um, this wisdom of not creating an enemy of someone that has done great harm. Thich Nhat Hanh also was in exile for many, many years. It was just in the last few years that he was allowed to return to his homeland of Vietnam. Um, he and his people experienced horrible devastation of his land by the Americans and the North Vietnamese. And yet he, too, has never made an enemy of the North Vietnamese or the American soldiers. In fact, he has come to the States many, many times and held retreats for Vietnam veterans and has suggested to his Vietnamese monks that had they grown up, in the United States and experience the same things, the same teachings, et cetera, et cetera, that the American soldiers had, they too might do the same things that the American soldiers did. So again, he's not condoning it. He's not saying, oh, it's okay, it's okay. But he is saying sort of walk a mile, you know. If you had the same experience, you might do the same thing. Um, and yet, when he was in Vietnam, of course, he worked greatly for peace in Vietnam and was nominated, he never received, but was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Jack Kornfield has been very active uh, in many, many ways to right injustices and never creating enemies. Joanna Macy, who has worked so many years on the nuclear issue, Um, again, not creating enemies, but working out of a peaceful, um, non-conflictual way. Uh, Donald Rothberg, uh, who comes here occasionally to teach, Um, the Buddhist Peace Fellowship, is designed to work against injustices, but in a peaceful way, so that in doing so we don't create enemies, we don't create more disharmony than there already is. It can be, I think, you know, um, maybe a tricky line sometimes to work for justice, to speak out for injustices in whatever form they may come, poverty or racism or violence or whatever, Without creating an enemy without creating more conflict than there already is a couple of weeks ago there was an article on the San Jose Mercury by a man who is an Iraqi surgeon um, Hader Karim and one paragraph in his article stood out for me he said I didn't become a doctor because I wanted to heal people in the traditional sense. I did it because to be a doctor is to be an activist for peace. I love that. In studying medicine, one learns that it is human nature to want to live and to want suffering to end. And he happens to be coordinator for uh, religions for peace. So we can work in many, many different ways um, to, to right injustices, to bring about peace, to live and to be peace and harmony. There's a wonderful Zen story that you may have heard. I've heard it told in different ways. Jack tells it this way. A Zen story tells that during a time of civil war in Korea, a certain general led his troops through province after province, overrunning whatever stood in his path. The people of one town, knowing that he was coming and having heard tales of his cruelty, all fled into the mountains. The general arrived in the empty town with his troops, and sent them out to search the town. Some of the soldiers came back and reported that only one person remained, a Zen priest. The general strode over to the temple, walked in, pulled out his sword, and said, Don't you know who I am? I am the one who can run you through without batting an eye. The Zen master looked back and calmly responded and I sir am one who can be run through without batting an eye. The general hearing this bowed and left. (laughs) This is the ultimate equanimity I think. (laughs) And of course it's a teaching story but That kind of equanimity that stands up to whatever and says, you know, and I, sir, am one who can be run through without batting an eye. It's pretty impressive, I think. Recently, I learned of a book um, by a man named Will Tuttle and it's called World Peace Diet, Eating for Spiritual Health and Social Harmony. And I mention it because the premise in this book is that the way we eat our our diet um, of meat leads to violence because of the way animals are raised and treated um, for us to eat, the way they are inhumanely slaughtered, without being totally um, sedated. And his premise is that that violence comes through the food. The energy of that comes through the food and enters our body. It's kind of like the saying, you know, that a meal cooked. In anger, it <laughs> will not taste the same as a meal cooked with love. It's kind of that there's an energy and it comes through. And, and he suggests that, that that influences or affects the amount of violence that we experience in our society, and our culture today. So it's something to think about. So a couple of questions I offer you just to reflect on, and we might take just a moment to do that now. What would we have to let go of to be at peace right now? What would we have to let go of? And a second one. What would we have to hold in compassion to be at peace right now? What would we have to hold in compassion to be at peace right now? And you might just see what (coughs) bubbles up, what comes to your mind. And if if not immediately, um, let the questions stay with you and see what, what wants to be noticed, what wants to be seen. So a saying that I love very much. Those rest in peace who do not abide anywhere those rest in peace who do not abide anywhere. This suggests not holding on, not clinging to anything or anybody. We don't abide anywhere. It's like um, Stephen Batchelor's book, Buddhism Without Beliefs. And when we don't hold on to a belief, It doesn't mean we can't see clearly, but we don't hold on to anything, anything at all. We rest in peace. It's a tall order. (laughs) It's a tall order not to hold on to anything. It's the same as Ajahn Chah's saying, let go completely, you have complete peace. Peace. So I'll end with um, a prayer for peace that I read at a, an interfaith um, service, I think back in March, uh, interfaith service for peace at the Unitarian Church down in San Jose. And this was written by a woman named Maylee Scott. Meili um, was a Zen priest. She was an activist many years ago. I sat with her and a few other people on the railroad tracks at Concord. Remember back in the 80s when they were shipping nuclear weapons, nuclear material out of Concord? And Buddhist Peace Fellowship kept a presence there for a long time, a peaceful one you know we took our cushions we literally sat on the railroad tracks on our cushions and so uh, maylie died in 2001 but she wrote this before she died and i think she mentions all the things that i have mentioned tonight may i be well loving and peaceful may all beings be well, loving, and peaceful. May I be at ease in my body, feeling the ground beneath my feet, letting my back be long and straight, enjoying breath as it rises and falls and rises. May I know and be intimate with body-mind, Whatever it's feeling or mood, calm or agitated, tired or energetic, irritated or friendly. This is that radical acceptance. Breathing in and out, in and out, aware moment by moment of the risings and passings. May I be attentive and gentle towards my own discomfort and suffering. This is so important. May I be attentive and grateful for my own joy and well-being. May I move towards others freely and with openness. May I receive others with sympathy and understanding. May I move towards the suffering of others with peaceful and attentive confidence. May I recall the bodhisattva of compassion, her thousand hands, her instant readiness for action, each hand with an eye in it, the instinctive knowing what to do. May I continually cultivate the ground of peace for myself and others and persist mindful and dedicated to this work independent of results may I know that my peace and the world's peace are not separate that our peace in the world is a result of our work for justice may all beings be well happy and peaceful so is there anything you'd like to add or question?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I would like to make a comment. If I may, um, you know. Uh, Process of our beings, woman, you know, in the womb, the egg that um, the sperm fertilizes. Um, I believe that the sperm determines the sex, and also the sperm, as it, it, it enters creation of the womb, it fights with the other sperms and destroys all the other sperms, and the strongest sperm reaches the egg. So from that um, lower level, I guess, atomic level of creation, the destructive process begins in creation. Scientifically, at least speaking, as far as humans are concerned, the sperm is c- killing off all the other sperms to, get to, the fir- to be the first one to be egg. Um, how, how, how do you know that? Um, I was talking to some scientists that, uh, that study science and stuff, and uh, from that creation process, like in the meat, um, is innate, just like nature and the ecosystems kind of balancing out through um, its own checks and balances.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. I was originally trained as a nurse many, many years ago, and it was my understanding at that time that what actually happens is that a sperm, the fastest or whatever, one sperm, um, penetrates the membrane of the egg, and the egg then seals itself off, walls off, so that other sperm can't enter so that it's actually not unless they found something that I don't know about (laughs) not a killing of other sperm but a walling off so that um, so that other sperm can't enter but I think your point is perhaps that there is violence in nature and um, I think there's truth to that However, I think it, as far as I know, it's violence with a purpose. You know, there, there is the food chain, there is um, prey and, and um, predator. But it's, uh, it's the way of life. It's the way of um, existing. And it seems from, I'm not a scientist, but from what I've seen on channel nine, (laughs) what little I do know, that, that there's between predator and prey, there's kind of an understanding Um, You know, maybe not the understanding that we think of, but that there is the chase very clearly. But the prey at some point knows it's caught and accepts that this is the way it is, you know, gives up its life, so to speak, and um, knows that that's the way of life. That's the way of living. Unfortunately, so much of human violence is without meaning or is about um, protecting ourselves, protecting these egos, these individuals that that we create ourselves. To be, and and therefore, I think contributes to disharmony, non-peace. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with what like you were saying. We definitely have primal parts of ourselves that we can fight against. If we do feel that we want to attack or lash out, if we choose to have a higher consciousness, a higher being, so that might be our primal response, and our primal response going and fighting, fighting, all that stuff. But we can choose to say, "Okay, I'm really upset. My life is in danger. I choose to have compassion." For or acceptance that they're being rude or unkind or mean-spirited or violent or whatever. And I choose to love them back. It. So it might be the way it is
1: in nature, but I think we can do something and not just react to phone.
0: I think we can learn to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think a lot of our conditioning, you know, means that. It's not just an immediate change, but we can, yes, yes, right. Mm -hmm. A long time ago, I read a book, um, uh, I can't remember the exact title, but it was something like Cooperation, Not Competition. And the author went through a lot of nature and showed how, um, because we think, Uh, competition is natural or necessary and he showed many many examples in nature and in human beings where um, cooperation was the way and and showed that it actually it was cooperation that has led to the continuation of life and not competition very very interesting I think We get these ideas that violence is natural or competition is necessary. (laughs) And um, maybe not. Maybe there's other ways. Maybe there are other cultures. May any merit, any benefit that we may have gained through our practice here together tonight be shared with all beings, that all beings may be happy and may live in peace. And may each of us determine to cultivate and develop a peaceful heart and mind so that we sow the seeds of peace And spread that peace wherever we go.